When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. The woke madness in history education is off the rails. Well, how do we change it? McClanahanAcademy.com. And because you listen to this podcast, if you use the coupon code PODCAST at checkout, you get 25% off every day, all day, 365 days a year, on every class at McClanahanAcademy.com. So go to McClanahanAcademy.com, use coupon code PODCAST at checkout, and get a real history education at 25% off. If you like this podcast and you want it without advertisements, head over to patreon.com and become a member of The Brian McClanahan Show. For 10 bucks a month, you get all the podcasts ad-free, including video, and you also get a special Q&A podcast. I'm only going to answer your questions, your listener-generated episodes, through those Q&As. So head over to patreon.com. Get this podcast ad-free, no ads, not even things like this, and you really do help support The Brian McClanahan Show with really cool stuff on the back end. Did Abraham Lincoln screw up America? Absolutely. So did a litany of other presidents, and I've got all of them in Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America. It's one of my favorite books that I've written. You're really going to love it, and you might even be shocked about who I include in those nine presidents, including Abraham Lincoln. Pick it up wherever books are sold online. I guarantee you'll love it. Are we in an endless civil war? Well, let's talk about that on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to be back on the program. Very glad to be here. Well... According to one journalist, we're in an endless civil war right now, and it's never going to get any better. So let's talk about that. I mean, we're seeing some really contentious things in the United States. We've got essentially a 50% split in the American electorate. I know the Democrats will run around saying that we've got this, they've got this massive majority, numerical majority in the United States. And of course, that is the motivation behind all the people pouring into the United States and the Democrats letting it happen because they think that gives them an electoral edge. It's all about power. It's always about power. But are we in an endless civil war? Now, of course, we're not shooting at each other. So there is a potential for a hot war, maybe. I mean, people are talking about that. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think we're going to see a hot war in the United States again for a long time. I mean, it could happen. I don't know. Any, anything's possible. But the fact is, we've had a cold war between two factions in America for a long time. And in one way, this piece that I'm going to read to you is accurate. In another way, it's inaccurate. It's inaccurate the way it's framed. But I will say this. From the time of the ratification of the Constitution of the present... We've had an endless cold war between two dominant factions in America. One of those factions are those who think that the central government, the general government, has unlimited power and can do whatever it wants and believes in massive centralization. 
And that massive centralization can take effect in many different ways. It could be for uh, a position of military strength. It could be to use the power of the general government to level society in one way or another, you know, make everyone equal. It could be in a variety of different ways. The other faction believes that the general government is limited by the Constitution or limited by the central governing document, whatever that is, the Articles of Confederation, the Constitution, and that we live in a federal republic, that the states are primary as agents of the compact, and that we have a decentralized federal government, and that the federal government can't do most of the things that it does. Those two factions have been around, again, since really the Constitution was being drafted, and it was before that, and then of course after it's ratified, and into the earliest parts of, of American history. Those two factions are still there, and they still will be there because of the Constitution itself. Because, and because of the nature of power. The Constitution itself allows for this. And it allows for this because it seems to be vague in various areas. You've got the General Welfare Clause, the Necessary and Proper Clause, the Commerce Clause, the Supremacy Clause. You have language in the document that allows for wiggle room. And this is, I've said on this podcast before, is the problem with just textualism. If you're just going to read the text without any context and understanding what people were saying at the time, well then, it makes it to where you can do just about anything you want with these phrases and clauses and, and malleable statements. However, if you go back and actually look at what the people were saying when they wrote and ratified it, that creates an entirely different picture. That's originalism. It's not just going out and looking at a definition. What do they mean by commerce in uh, 1787? What do they mean by general welfare in 1787? You have to understand how they said these various portions of the Constitution would be implemented and used once the document was ratified and put into effect. Now, we know the first Congress abandoned that. They abandoned it. Uh, and they quickly turned on what they said during ratification, particularly the proponents of the document, the centralizers. What they really wanted was a strong central government. This created the factions. Now, of course, you can also see factions develop in things like foreign policy and other issues. You, got, you have practical issues that begin to split the factions in the early federal period. But there had always been an effort, even in that period of time, to try to glue the United States together. All these discordant factions, all these sections, these states, these different cultures, because we had cultures, even though they were all British North Americans, at least the dominant political culture. There were, there were factions within those cultures. This is George Washington's farewell address. This is Thomas Jefferson's first inaugural address. This is an attempt to try to do that. And the Jeffersonian position held sway for a couple of decades. Washington's farewell address, and then, of course, we had some extreme factionalism during the Adams presidency, and then Jefferson comes into office, and this Jeffersonian sway continues unabated for 24 years. And then you start getting more factionalism again. There's certainly some cracks even during that last administration of James Monroe. And all of that is because the centralizers were never happy with how things were going. This decentralized federal republic wasn't working for them. And so they kept agitating. 
So certainly, we've had a long war in America over the meaning of power out of the central government. And this is where real American conservatism comes from. It's an opposition to innovation, to the new, to this attempt to centralize power and change. This is what they want. Now, when you get to the post-war period, you get the 1840s, of course, you see a lot of reform movements, and then you get to the post-war period, and of course, that's going to manifest itself in all kinds of other things. The progressives became militaristic. They wanted a military regimentation of America. And by the way, if you're listening to this podcast today, that's a nice segue. I've got a new class out. It's out for one week at a discounted price. American progressivism. You're going to want it right now. If you use the coupon code PROGRESSIVE, you get the class for 99 bucks. So, if you're listening to this show between February 1st, 2024... And February 7th, 2024, you get it for 99 bucks. That's it. Once that, once February 7th, it, that, that deal's gone. 99 bucks. Seven days only is all you've got. So, the American progressives attempted to centralize everything. And, of course, they're innovators. And the reaction to that, they called them Stan Patters. Now, the Stan Patters even were progressives. This is what R.L. Dabney pointed out in the late 19th century. These Northern conservatives really weren't that conservative. What they were trying to conserve was the Lincolnian Revolution. They weren't conservative. Okay, they're trying to conserve. They're trying to stop. They, they've got to a point they want to stop, and they don't want to go any further. The real conservatives in the antebellum period were the Democrats, without question. Even the Republicans called them that. The conservatives were the Democrats. So you've had this very long war between centralizers. And then, of course, even in those centralizers, you've got the imperialists. They would be so-called conservatives, the jingoists, those who would want to go out and acquire colonies and everything else and expand the American empire. A lot of these people were Republicans. And, of course, that, that motivation, these people are called conservative, but they're really progressive. These are Lincolnians. It all started during the Lincolnian period, right? During the war, you had an effort to do that, and then Reconstruction. It's all based on that. They're all centralizers. Okay. So when you look at today and you talk about some of the Republicans who want to go to war with everybody and the militaristic Republicans and these type of things, those are the people, even the reform Republicans, who want to use the general government to institute even moral reform. Those people are progressives because no conservative in the founding generation would have wanted to do that. They, they didn't think the central government had that kind of power. So in one way, we have a long war because of the inherent structure of the United States and the vagueness of the Constitution, and no one bothers to go back and look at these things because it doesn't work for them. So when the Constitution is vague, it allows them to do these things. We will always have this conflict as long as we have a Constitution that allows for these things. Now, the Tenth Amendment was supposed to solve that problem, but there's no enforcement mechanism. It can't when there's no enforcement mechanism. That's really the problem. That's the issue. If you don't have an enforcement mechanism on the Tenth Amendment, it makes it to where all of these things happen. This is If you read the preamble to the Bill of Rights, they were hoping the Bill of Rights would rein in the power of the central government. Unfortunately, what it also did is open the door to an implied interpretation of the Constitution because, as opponents of the Bill of Rights pointed out, if you do this, if you add a Bill of Rights, it's going to assume that these powers were there even when they weren't expressly listed in the document. So that means that there might be other powers in the document that, that we have that are there 
that we didn't list. Now, of course, the Ninth Amendment is supposed to take care of that, but it doesn't. Right? Those are just a paper tiger. It doesn't do anything. You have to enforce these things. No enforcement mechanism. So in that way, we have an endless civil war. Now, what this piece does, though, which is different, is say that we have a civil war. The civil war itself in the 1860s is ongoing, and it's a civil war that has to do with all kinds of other issues besides just this nature of power. And, of course, the image that you see is the guy walking through the Capitol on January 6th holding the Confederate flag, the battle flag. Um, and uh, I... I I find this fascinating. So this is by Michael Mathis. Um, and it's a short little read. It's AFP. Uh, and it says, Men in a picturesque Virginia street sport Confederate uniforms, waving rebel battle flags mixed with Donald Trump campaign banners. This is 2024 in America, where the Civil War has not only been forgotten, it never truly ended. The Civil War is not... So the problem is, Southerners who are wanting to go out there and march around in uniforms as reenactors and the wars, because they carry Confederate flags. This war has never been forgotten. Carry on the fight, urged Susan Lee at an event in the town of Lexington as several hundred fellow Confederate Southern sympathizers gathered this month to honor generals from the slave-owning 19th century Confederacy. God save the South, they said. So you see these people that show up, the hundreds that show up, are never letting the Civil War die. Now, as I just said in the few minutes that I talked about this, the issue of centralization has not died. The issue of state power, the issue of decentralization, the issue of, you know, we call it states' rights, state powers, federalism, whatever it is, these issues have not died. And they won't die. The 14th Amendment didn't kill it. Now, this is the whole point, though, of 14th Amendment originalism, because the 14th Amendment originalists say that it killed it, but it didn't. As we know from the slaughterhouse cases, we know that that didn't create some kind of voice, some kind of new national government on the rest of the United States. It didn't incorporate the Bill of Rights. It didn't do any of that. But of course, we've got the people that run around. You know, you see Randy Barnett hold a thick book on this. Oh, yes, it did. They wanted these things. If you read Raoul Berger, he's saying, no, it didn't. Raoul Berger, I think, was correct, and Randy Barnett was incorrect. In fact, Raoul Berger wrote uh, two books on this, Government by Judiciary, and uh, I think the other one was the 14th Amendment, the Bill of Rights, or something like that. Both great books on this topic. The, the second one is much shorter and can, more concise. If you want to just kind of get the hard-hitting point, you can read that one. So, we've got a situation where we have an endless civil war, according to this guy. Then he says, the Confederates, a separatist rebellion seeking to preserve the South's slavery-based economy, almost destroyed the United States before finally losing in an 1861-65 war that killed as many as 800,000 people. Now, let me stop there. It wasn't a separatist rebellion. Yes, the South had a slaveholding economy. There was no threat to that slaveholding economy from the North. In fact, Lincoln made that explicit. He had said over and over again, I'm not going to touch your slaves in the states where it already exist. That's not going away. And there's really no threat to slavery in 1860 from the Republican Party in the states where it already existed. In fact, during the war, there were slave states in the Union that the Republican Party didn't touch. Now, some of these states abolished slavery on their own, but Delaware and Kentucky, you could say Kentucky was part of the Confederacy or not, 
But those two states still had slavery until November and December of 1865. And then, of course, New Jersey until January of 1866. So they didn't, they didn't touch slavery in the areas. To say that the, the South was fighting to preserve the slave-based economy, well, there was no threat to that. In the 1850s, the most productive and, and valuable crop in the South was sugar, and it was going to grow. The Corwin Amendment, which Lincoln supported and was adopted by a few states in the North before the war, would have made slavery permanent in these states. The issue was the Western Territories, which came down to the Supreme Court, by the way, because the Supreme Court said that you cannot block slavery in the territories. The Republican Party refused to abide by the decision. Southerners said, you can't do that. We've had to abide by all these other decisions all these years. We've had all we've had Cohen's v. Virginia. We've had McCulloch v. Maryland. We've had we've had all these things that we didn't like, and yet we've had to abide by them. Now you're saying you won't abide by this? Well, where's where's the where's the uh, the union there? You, you're violating the union at that point. You see? Now we can go back and look at this and say, well, you know, slavery shouldn't. It was a bad decision. The Dred Scott decision was a bad decision. It was it was on. Uh, substantive due process based on the idea of substantive due process, which is a faulty legal doctrine. But regardless, the Supreme Court ruled. And I thought we all abide by what the Supreme Court says until the Supreme Court rules in a different way. So if they wanted to change it, they could have gotten a new court, had relitigated, and had it go another way. This is what we all say we have to do. Conservatives in the modern era lived with Roe v. Wade for 50 years. And didn't do anything about it until it was changed. You see, this is the process. This is what we're all supposed to do. The North was going to ignore it. And this was made explicit in their critiques of uh, the Southern critiques of the North in the time leading to secession. So, um, it wasn't seeking to preserve anything. It already was there. This was not in question. It wasn't. And in fact, in fact, those who fought to stay in the Union, who argued that secession was wrong, said that slavery will never be better protected than it is now in the United States. So if that's the case, and the South was willing to give up slavery during the war for foreign recognition, and at the end of the war they did start arming slaves, if that's the case, well then how is it a rebellion seeking to preserve the slave-based economy. It was a fact of life in the South. A separate South would have had slavery. This is true. This is true. It would have had slavery. If Lincoln had never invaded the South, if there was no war, you would have had a, a slave-holding United States as well because you still would have had eight slave states in the United States. That would not have changed. That would not have changed. It also wasn't seeking to destroy the United States. The United States still existed all throughout the war. If the South had left, the United States still exists. They still have a government. They still have financial houses. They still have an army, a navy, clearly. Still have foreign policy. They still have all these things. They still would control the Western territories. All that stuff. So it wasn't going to destroy the United States. The United States still existed. Still existed during the war. Still would exist after the war. And it also makes it seem like the South is responsible for these 800,000 deaths. No. Lincoln's decision to go and try to preserve the Union was responsible for 800,000 deaths, not the other way around.
Secession is a peaceful act. It's not a violent act. It's a peaceful act. So, let's continue. But for the Lexington crowd, musket-carrying men wearing gray Confederate Army uniforms and women in period dresses singing the antebellum song Dixie, the rebels remain heroes, not traitors or racists. Well, because they weren't traitors. And all Americans in 1860 were racists. I mean, if you praise Abraham Lincoln, he was a racist. Okay, so this is just stupid. These things are, these, these charges that people make, that if you, if you just look at it in a vacuum, it makes sense. But when you have historical context, it's all stupid. The antebellum song Dixie. That song was loved by everybody. Even Lincoln loved the song Dixie, right? I mean, this was a popular tune. It's a popular tune after the war. But notice the subtle, the antebellum song Dixie. It's not really a song for America. It was considered an American song way into the 20th century. It's only the last couple of years that you can't play Dixie anymore. You see, Michael Matthews is a moron. We do not need the permission of carpetbaggers and scalawag politicians to honor Southern generals, Lee said before the group paraded through the streets. That passion is far from confined to history buffs, particularly as America gears up for November's presidential election, you see. This is all just an attack on carpetbaggers and scalawags. Mingling with the Confederate paraphernalia were Trump 2024 banners, an iconic symbol for right-wingers who often describe themselves as fighting their own kind of contemporary rebellion against Washington. You see? You see? It's the insurrection. January 6th was a real insurrection because these people are just cosplaying Confederates who just want to topple the United States government. That's all they want to do. That's all they are. Trump has repeatedly shown sympathy for Confederate-friendly culture of the rural South. Oh, no. He said some nice things about Robert E. Lee. He's been nice to Southerners. Oh, no. He has praised Civil War losing General Robert E. Lee as a genius. Well, that was a recognized position for uh, the long-standing period after the war. I mean, 100 years. It was a long-standing period. Dwight Eisenhower, who was a five-star general, thought Robert E. Lee was a genius. (laughs) I think he knows a little more about general officers and military genius than, I don't know, Michael Matthews. Maybe. Maybe Michael Matthews is a five-star general, but I don't think so. But Robert E. Lee was considered to be a genius. Now, we can say Lee made mistakes. Of course he did. But uh, this is you know, not something that was contested until recently. And it's contested not just by lefties, but by quote-unquote, conservatives. Who, like, uh, I mean, some of these, you know, Bone Kemper's dead, but some of these people, you know, Alan Gelzo, others, no, Lee's not a genius. Grant is the guy that we need to focus on. Grant, Sherman, these are the guys. Trump also angrily opposed President Joe Biden's decision to rename U.S. military bases, previously honored, named in honor of Confederate pro-slavery figures. Well, here's the thing. Uh, Donald, uh, that wasn't Joe Biden's decision. That was done before Biden came into office. That was the Democrats working with the Republicans who also believe that all these Confederates are Democrats, so therefore it can be changed. 
and wouldn't vote to block it. I mean, I've talked about that. See, the piece, it's the subtle things that these things get wrong. I, I talked about with the Daily Beast article yesterday. It's the subtle ways that these people just get everything wrong. That's so troubling. And it's so laughably stupid, but people are going to read it and say, oh, yeah, 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 Trump was angry. He did veto the legislation for that very reason, saying when you do this, you pass this, this uh, defense bill, you're going to get this. And then, of course, all Republicans, oh, we're up in arms. The, 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 uh, the Arlington Monument came down. We got to do something about that. We got to pass. We got to write an angry letter saying we're going to do something about that. You had the chance. This is why you blame Republicans. It's not Joe Biden's fault that happened. That's Republicans' fault. You see? This month, the increasingly far-right Republican leader caused a stir by saying the Civil War would have been negotiated, downplaying the epic battle led by Abraham Lincoln to extinguish slavery and maintain a single country at all costs. Now, notice what he says here. That's a glorious thing. To maintain a single country at all costs, that's a glorious thing. To, it, it's a glorious thing to sacrifice nearly a million, over a million people when it comes down to it in civilian casualties. It's a glorious thing to do that. That's what we all should be doing. We should all be sacrificing ourselves for that. Well, I, I mean, I hope Michael, whatever the heck his name is, Michael Matthews, does this very thing at some point. He goes out and he volunteers to go out and sacrifice himself for whatever reason to save, uh, to keep a single country at all costs, maybe. I mean, if I hope he, he joins up in the U.S. military and he goes overseas and he's going to sacrifice himself for whatever the American foreign policy is at the time. He does that. He could go do that and... Of course, in Ukraine or Russia, he could do that right now. He's not. He's writing stupid pieces for Yahoo News or AFP. Of course, the war could have been negotiated. There was an attempt before the war to stop it. It could have been negotiated. The South, in 1860, the only state that had left was South Carolina. The rest of the South would have stayed in the Union. There was an attempt at negotiation. It was called the Crittenden Compromise. Now, it would have allowed for the Missouri Compromise Line to be extended to the Pacific, which would have meant that the South was actually compromising after the Supreme Court decision. People, well, the South's not compromising. The North is doing all the compromising. No, no, no. The South's position was stronger. The Supreme Court has ruled that slavery is legal in every territory in the United States. So we're actually saying that we're going to cut it in half again, and you can have the North and we'll have the South again. We're, we're actually compromising with you. We're going with the Supreme Court decision. That is a compromise. Now, again, 2024, we can say, well, it's glad that we didn't have the situation developed where we had slavery in the Western territories, et cetera, et cetera. But you see, you're looking at it from a 21st century perspective. In the 19th century, this all could have been negotiated. Americans would have done it. Most Americans, I am sure, would have avoided a war if all it meant was drawing the line out to the Pacific. But you know who didn't want to do that? Abraham Lincoln. And you want to know why? Because it would have destroyed his party. The Republican Party would have ceased to exist. You would have gone back to kind of a Whig-Democrat split. Now, Lincoln was always a Whig. But that Lincoln would have been a one-term president. The Republican Party is dead because there's no issue anymore of slavery extension. That's off the table. It wasn't about slavery in the South. It's always about the extension of the institution. And Lincoln wasn't fighting to extinguish slavery. We know that because he said it. Because he said it. He said it. Over and over again. The Civil War may have happened 160 years ago, but the echoes are everywhere. It really is the ground zero for so many issues that have shaped American history. Boston University professor Nina Silber told AFP. Yes, of course, Nina Silber. Uh, anytime you need one of these poll quotes, you go out and you get you know, 
Silber or Sinha or, you know, maybe sometimes Foner or James McPherson or, or some of the other, you know, uh, Karen Cox or Heather Cox Richardson. You go get these people. They give you the poll quotes. And of course, this is all about racial reckoning. You see here is the key. You, you, you write this stupid part of the top where it, it's not even historically accurate in any way, what, any way, shape, or form. And then you, you, this is all about race. You see, what it really is is about Trumpists who are focused on race. That's what this all comes down to. The clearest reminders are the monuments still scattered across the South, whether streets or entire towns named after rebel figures or statues celebrating the Confederacy. <gasps> oh my gosh, you mean these people put up statues of soldiers after the war was over that killed 800,000 people? The horror that they tried to remember the sacrifices of people, all the people that had died. Kind of like the North that did the exact same thing. Are they saying that these things are... That there's streets and towns named after these northerners across the United States? Oh my gosh. How the horror for that too. Or how about the fact we've got statues in D.C. of people that were racist and committed genocide? I don't know, like Sherman. (laughs) I mean, you know, hey. What's that though? That's the good guy. That's the northerner. The statues have become targets for cultural skirmishes between conservatives and diversity-supporting progressives. Diversity-supporting progressives. Yes. Again, the language. It's hilarious. These people are just diversity-supporting. They're diversity, right? One thing that's interesting, you think about the Egyptians. What do we know about Egyptian culture? We know a lot about Egyptian culture because they had monuments in stone. And we have these things everywhere. We all look at this. This is marvelous. You know, we read these monuments and look at these things. Monuments preserve a people in a culture, a people in a place. This is why they want them to be torn down. And then this line. Last month, a Confederate monument was quietly removed from Arlington National Cemetery, the official resting place for American war heroes. I agree there's American war heroes, including Confederates, that were put there at the behest of Republicans, Union Republicans, Union veteran Republicans in the late 19th century. That's why we're there. Now, some Southerners didn't want them there. This is true. They didn't think they should be in Arlington. But this monument was constructed as a symbol of reconciliation. You know what that means? Healing the wounds of the war. In fact, that was the whole point. You want to say the war is going on? Why? Because you're tearing these things down. All you had to do was leave them up and people would just... Yeah, okay, that's a monument. So what? Nobody paid attention to it. Not anymore. So why take it down? Why? Because they don't really want the war to end. They want the war to continue. This is another reconstruction. Reconciliation is the enemy of the ongoing war. And that's what Northerners and Southerners wanted to do when the war was over. Tearing these things down is actually continuing the war. Why do we have the war ongoing? Because they keep tearing stuff down. And it wasn't really quietly removed. There was a lot of opposition to this. But, regardless. Slavery's deeper legacies have proven far harder to remove. This is the legacies. 
While the war led to emancipation for 4 million enslaved people, providing them basic access to civil and political life, a whitewashing of history followed. So did a century-long violent suppression and segregation of black Americans, further embedding racism in the systems that undergird U.S. society, Silver said. Uh, now why? What, what was Lincoln's response to Alexander H. Stevens, the vicious guy of the South, when he said, my gosh, what are you going to do? You've got all these people. You've got all these black people. What are you going to do with them all? Lincoln's response, root hog or die. We're not going to do anything for them. We're just going to do nothing. Nothing. That was Lincoln's response. The, the, the great, and, and this was essentially the overall American response to this because the war wasn't about that. It was a byproduct of the war. People were happy that happened. Some people, some people were not happy that happened. But it was not the aim of the war. And yes, these people were given nothing, nothing but freedom, as Confederate General Richardson said when the war was over. Nothing but freedom. And that was a travesty. And the owners were given nothing, no compensation. Slavery could have ended in an entirely different way would have been agreeable for both people and would have provided a different kind of reconciliation in the South, but it didn't. It was immediate and it was over and it was catastrophic in many ways in the way that it happened. As a black person in South Carolina, you can't escape slavery. Democratic National Committee Chairman Jamie Harrison said on social media platform X, for black folks it impacts everything in almost every waking moment. Now we can debate that. But there is a legacy to it. I don't think there's, there's anything incorrect about this. Certainly, there's a legacy to this. Uh, without question. And this is where I've said the 1619 Project is actually correct in some ways. Look, people weren't committed to the Proposition Nation, even when they wrote the language. They weren't committed at all. And I don't think Americans, I mean, this is Teddy Roosevelt, the American progressives class that's in there. Teddy Roosevelt called it a noble lie. We're not really interested. They weren't really interested in that. Maybe the progressives were trying to do these things in some ways, even though a lot of these progressives were also uh, eugenicists, so they believed in a pure race and the white people should control everything. The progressives had that element to them as well. But, uh, I mean, this isn't necessarily incorrect. That lack of a clear break with the Pass came under a harsh spotlight in December when Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley, a former South Carolina governor, told an audience the Civil War was about freedoms and government, not slavery. I've already got, got into this, so I'm not going to rehash what I've said before. Haley earned plaudits for ordering the Confederate flag removed from the state capitol in 2015 after a church massacre of nine black Americans by a white supremacist. But this month, Biden returned to Mother Emanuel Amy Church in Charleston, delivered a fierce rebuke of Haley. Slavery was the cause. There's no negotiation about that, he said. Again, I've talked about this. It's just, I, I've already said it even in this podcast. All that's just easily refuted. Defenders like Lee insist Southerners fought for the Union, not over slavery, but states' rights and preservation of their values. But Biden strictly rejected that romanticized nostalgic ideology known as the lost cause. Now we're living in an era of second lost cause, a lie which, if allowed to live, will once again bring terrible damage to this country, he said, referring to Trump's baseless claim that the 2020 election was stolen. Now, again, this is why the history wars matter. I've talked about this and the influence of historians on that particular speech and what Biden gave uh, at the 
uh, Valley Forge speech on January 5th. This is John Meacham. This is, you know, Heather Cox Richardson. This is what they're trying to do. They're trying to stir this up. These are the people that can't let this thing die. Tearing down monuments, renaming streets, the culture war is their doing. We ended it. Reconciliation ended the culture war. It was over. But not really because these people wanted to live on. Heritage. All marchers in Lectendon who spoke to AFP said slavery was abhorrent, but defended celebrating the Confederacy. Well, yeah, because this is what people did after the war was over a lot. It is the heritage of having Confederate ancestors and believing in the cause of this day, said Chuck, Chuck uh, Dransfeld, a field, a retired state employee dressed in his replica uniform. Note the Trump banners, he said, for the most part, his platform aligns with ours. Americans are split again, acknowledged Dransfield. I don't think there will be a time when we will come to all come together, at least not in my lifetime. Well, there was a time. Right? But see, the way this is portrayed is there was no, never a time that this happened. There was. It was called reconciliation. Monuments went up. North and South fought together again. We had the Spanish-American War, World War I, World War II. We had the Confederate flag flown everywhere. It didn't matter. People in these major military conflicts. We had the unified United States again. All this happened. Now, of course, the, con the, the critique of that as well, but what was sacrifice, you know, rights for black Americans and equality and women and all these things. All the progressive agenda was sacrificed in this. Not necessarily. I don't think the progressives ever really lost. They just kept churning and churning and churning, and eventually they got what they wanted, whatever that position was. Whether it, but it all comes down to centralization of power in one way or another. So, look, there's so many things about this piece that are just really, really bad historically inaccurate, but this is the point. You've got to portray this thing as an endless war and this nasty thing, because if you don't, you don't win. And you got to make it about something else other than just power. It has to be about some other issue. It's really about power at the end of the day, which is what I've said over and over again. This is what these people want. They're going to use any tactic. They're going to use any tool in their tool chest to get it. That's what they want to do. The reason it's being brought up again is because they're making it an issue. They tore down reconciliation. They tore down the period of time when all the wounds were healed. America was united. People recognized Northern Heroes is great. And Southern Heroes is great. And we all just kind of got along and did these things. That's over. And it's over at their request, not the request of the South. See you next time on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.